0: Welcome back, friends, to another episode of The Encouraging Word. We hope that you are ready to be encouraged because Stephen and I are going to bring the word. Uh, My name is Paul Bennett, (laughs) um, Associate Pastor at Rocky River United Methodist Church. Stephen Young is our uh, youth director, incredibly talented and and full of wisdom. Uh, We come together to uh, form the Encouraging Word podcast team. And uh, welcome back for another episode as we wind down our series on the book of First John. Today we'll be engaging uh, Chapter Five, and Stephen will have some. Uh, uh, Stephen and I will have some all new content when we come back to you next time. But uh, we want to finish our conversations on First John here and. Uh, Make sure that we we do it justice. But before we can do that, we need to uh, cover our our FIT segment. Uh, For those who may be new with us, uh, we take a moment before we dive into the the serious business of breaking down the word or whatever topic is before us. to Just to check in on uh, things that have been happening in in recent weeks in our lives. And particularly, as we we dub it the FIT segment, things that are funny, interesting, or thought-provoking so uh steven welcome uh back to the podcast uh, <laughs> it's treating you <laughs> like you're a guest know, <laughs> welcome uh, back to our podcast right. and uh, what's your what's your uh, fit segment
1: for this right. week? yeah thanks paul i'm glad to be on <laughs> even though <laughs> there are several podcasts where it's just me oh yeah uh, i don't think there are any podcasts where it's just you no you you did have some some
0: solo acts uh a while back and i'm really really (laughs) sorry for that
1: i'm I'm you're more the guest you're the exactly you're the mainstay yeah take it away
0: anyway (laughs) so uh
1: yeah for my fit segment here um, (laughs) is chasing butterflies and paul and i were discussing before we came on air um that there's a song called chasing waterfalls so (laughs) i was like chasing butterflies that sounds like a song and he's like chasing waterfalls i'm like oh yeah that's the song (laughs) so um but yeah i was in the i like to spend time in the metro parks and i was um with my camera and just walking taking pictures and stuff and there was this butterfly that was on the shore now this sounds like really i don't know like poetic ish there's a butterfly on the shore and it was like the sun was rising and <laughs> <laughs> it was it wasn't too hot it wasn't too cold and and uh, I had a big smile on my face and I was just so happy and then this butterfly shows up. <laughs> Actually butterfly was already there so I'm like walking the shore the butterfly's there and and it was a yellow and black butterfly. I should know what it is. I think I do know what it is. No I don't know what it is but I did look it up but I forgot. It is called a Steelers butterfly. No, no? No, okay, no, just guess. Yeah, not Steelers. Uh, it was black and yellow, though. Black and yellow. Um, so I took, I was running around trying to take a really good picture of it. Um, but it, of course, it's a butterfly, so it would tend it, they fly away. <laughs> <laughs> but it was funny, though, the wind was such, was blowing in such a way that it would fly away, but then kind of fly back, I guess, to the spot just because I guess the wind was blowing it back, and it was trying to fly really hard. So then it would land pretty close to the spot it took off. So I was just kind of chasing it around and trying to get the best shot that I could because it kept coming back to the spot, and that's something that typically never happens when you're trying to take pictures of butterflies. Um, so I was really excited about that. I got some good shots. Um I guess if you're my Facebook friend, you could see them. I don't know how else I could share them, but, yeah, I got some good shots. It was a lot of fun. Wow. I was really vibing with
0: you there for a minute. That was uh, (laughs) quite a a tranquil scene that you described. Yeah. I wish I had caught... You on camera <laughs> yeah. catching the butterfly on camera, uh, right? That'd have been yeah, have been weird. We could have no. like used it during a worship service, <laughs> put it up there on screen, right. and and allow people to just sit back and spend a few moments of silent meditation watching <laughs> you chase the butterflies. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. God. That's cool. I. I uh, i'm uh, fascinated by your your photography and some of the things that the lengths that you go to achieve some of the pics that you get and uh there's really some incredible things that that you've been able to get pictures of and um i i would love to reenact that scene sometime at uh, yeah chasing yeah. butterflies is right. usually lightning bugs and other things but if i was a photographer i would probably choose butterflies yeah yeah good uh so uh, i'm gonna take things to a slightly different extreme (laughs) with my (laughs) with my fit um so i I shared last time we were on about a a short trip that my family took to virginia for a wedding and on our way back we we stopped at uh the, the battlefield marking the battle of antietam so uh, Stephen was chasing butterflies. I was walking battlefields. <laughs> a little bit different, but uh, yeah, uh, I had been there before a number of years ago, and and um, I wouldn't call myself a Civil War buff because I don't want anybody to think I actually know anything. But and I do you're not enjoy. Buff either <laughs> I'm not a. You're not buff, buff either. So. <laughs> well, a Civil War buff is is uh you know back in the day they weren't as buff so oh, yeah, i yeah, buff compared yeah. to <laughs> civil war you're also era.
1: giant compared to them too they were really short yeah we're well, not so really short but shorter this is true so
0: and when yeah. you're as big as as tall as i am you, you yeah. can be buff and it's not right. as as recognizable because <laughs> your muscles are oh, stretched yeah. <laughs> longer and not as yeah wow well, never we digress before. so I was at uh, Antietam and and um, it uh, for those who may not know it was a, a, a decisive battle in, in the Civil War. Um, It, I guess, would be recorded as a a northern victory, um, although it was uh, the the bloodiest and and deadliest single day in the American Civil War um, or in in any American military conflict. So the bloodiest single day in all of American history, ultimately. And uh, so just uh, being in that space and and knowing what took place there was uh, was really overwhelming in a sense. Uh, but the, the neat uh, tidbit that I picked up this time is that at the time, uh, President Lincoln was looking for uh, a northern victory, um, upon which is uh, the momentum from that victory would allow him to, uh, to offer the Emancipation Proclamation. And uh, though it wasn't quite as decisive of a, a victory as as he had hoped, uh, he felt it was enough to to uh, kind of set a foundation for him to offer that, and and he did so. So the Battle of Antietam, as bloody and as deadly as it was, um, ultimately was the catalyst that allowed him to offer the Emancipation Proclamation, even though it was uh, years before um, things really played out the way they needed to, and it's still a work in progress. But, uh, but just a, a really powerful uh, place to spend time in. Lots of, obviously, uh, history if you're, you're into that stuff, but big picture ramifications as well that are uh, fascinating to me. So, um, yeah, I, lo- I love battlefield hopping. Stephen loves chasing butterflies, and, you know, we we, uh, meet on middle ground here, I guess, (laughs) doing podcasts. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My side is usually more. Li- I call my side the light side. Paul's side's the dark side. <laughs> dark side. We turn the lights off on his side, so you guys can't <laughs> see it since it's a podcast. But it's a big my contrast here. My half of the room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very symbolic, <laughs> right? We we better get to
0: First John before we completely uh, get get fall D-relly apart again. So you're gonna read chapter five for us, this right? So
1: I'm gonna read uh, First John chapter five. This is the last chapter, and uh, this has been an, a great. Journey, um, and really excited about getting into chapter five. So um, this is actually gonna be a little different translation. This is um, the ESV, so this might sound a little bit different than what we're we typically read, but um, it's pretty close to NIV. All right, First John chapter five. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who lives and everyone who loves the Father. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify: the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of man, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God, that he has been born that he has born concerning his Son. Um, That's the passage read from the ESV, and we'll have Paul ask the first question.
0: All right, Stephen, Uh, let's go to question number one. This is drawn from verse three, so let me remind us of uh, the words of verse three. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So I read that and it struck me right away that uh, boy, I don't know that a lot of people in the world would agree with that this uh, especially the the notion and the last phrase that his commands are not burdensome. So Stephen, do you do you find God's commands burdensome? and if uh, I guess either way, what um, what do you think this verse is getting at? How can we reach to the point where uh, John is saying we can obtain um, an experience of God's commands that they're not burdensome? How do right. we get there?
1: Right. Well, I think, really, the way we get there <coughs> is really as simple as it may sound, um, but it's love. It's love is how we get there. So, um, I guess, I exam- always like to use marriage as an, as an example, um, and really, Scripture uses marriage a lot <laughs> as an example of our relationship with Jesus, um, like we see in Ephesians, I think Ephesians chapter 5. Um But when you love someone or you love something, um, the things that you do for that person you love or for that thing that you love, it's not burdensome. So, for example, like I love photography, and sure, I go through mud and dirt and mosquitoes and all this stuff, but I just love photography, so for those those quote-unquote struggles is not really a struggle they're not really burdensome because i'm doing something i love to do and that's taking photographs and it's similar too with our relationship with our our spouses you know or or relationship with um someone that we love whether it's a friend or family member you know like if it's someone we love and it's a family member who's in need we're going it's not going to be burdensome to us especially um now granted our love isn't perfect or has been or it hasn't been perfected yet which it will be when christ comes again so there are times where we feel burdensome with the people that we love and i think more of that is just to realize i think more of that just reveals our insufficient love to be honest i mean we we all we do all love our spouses our kids and stuff but yet we don't love them perfectly as god would love them if we're honest with ourselves if we're very very honest with ourselves we are we'll be aware of our own imperfections and our love towards others and that's (laughs) part of the reason why we come to christ realizing that we're sinners that we don't love god and we don't love our neighbor as we ought and that we need the forgiveness of god Um, Through Jesus Christ um, to transform us to love as we ought to love. Um, So that when we love someone truly with a pure love, what we do for them is not burdensome because what we do for them is truly for them and for their delight and for their joy and for their happiness and for their well being. So we're not concerned with um, the burden that's placed on us because it's not a burden to us because we know what we're doing is for the person that we love. So then it comes, and that same thing works out with our relationship with God. So when God calls us to do things that are counter to our culture, and there are a lot of things that Scripture says that are counter to our culture, and our culture continues to change and shift further and further, I would argue, from um, the Word of God. And and I also argue that human culture has never been close (laughs) to the Word of God, in a sense. Um, So we, we don't want to... Um, make it sound like our our time in history, our place in history is worse than other uh, history moments in history. Um, but regardless, when we follow God, we're going to be called to do things that on the surface to the world appears burdensome. and when our, with our love that's not perfect, it can feel burdensome, uh, but that's our um, goal is to love the Lord with a pure and selfless love so that when we do the things for him it doesn't feel like a burden that we're doing it for the joy of our relationship with Jesus Christ and just imagining I I love the parable where Jesus says um, I think it's the parable of he hands out the talents I think it's five three and and none but he in the parable Jesus says well done good and faithful servant to those who use um, their talents and abilities to help um, expand the kingdom of God. And, and, you know, like we live a relationship thinking, how can I bring joy? And, and not that Jesus doesn't have joy with us. and He doesn't love us. Um, but how can my life be a joy to Christ and how, and I can't wait to hear those words well done and good and faithful servant, you know, that we're not doing it for anything else other than just hearing the voice of our savior to feel his embrace, to receive his love. Um, and when we do that, it doesn't feel as burdensome. So, hmm. yeah. so the
0: so at the root of all of this is the notion that commands are given through relationship, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. obviously, if love is the foundation of that relationship, it changes the whole the whole nature of um, the mm-hmm. relationship between the one giving commands and the one obeying them. And I think a you know a good example because I, I think one of our struggles. With this, when we look at God's commands and feel them to be burdensome, um, <clears throat> part of the issue is, you know, maybe we don't love God as much as we need to. I think part of it sometimes is we don't understand and really appreciate why He's commanding us to do what He's commanding us mm-hmm. to do. But I think when we receive commands within the context of relationship it helps us better understand the why because right. we understand the, the person who's giving them so for example if uh you know if, if the the law is uh, not the jaywalk right so mm. you know that's a, a command uh, a law that the government has uh, established in in <clears throat> um, this country and you're not allowed to do it because the law says so You know, and you you read that and you you think, well, that's ridiculous. You know, if I'm smart enough to walk across the street without, (laughs) you know, without getting hit, I can handle it. But... Uh, say you're you know you're you're eight years old and your mom tells you not to jaywalk and she's able through relationship with you and this establishment of trust that you have and your respect for her able to explain to you why it's important why it's not safe um, you receive that command uh, generally very differently so i think that right. that notion of love and in, in the context of relationship right. does change everything it doesn't mean that we always understand um, right. all of God's commands but if there's an establishment of, of trust and respect between us right. um, we can kind of fill that void where we don't understand
1: with at least
0: a, a sense of respect right. uh, for who's giving the command
1: right yeah so when we give those command like when we receive those commands from a loving God it, how we respond is different and not to go too far into this because this is you could talk about this forever but also you gotta look at the spirit of the commands or the spirit of the law you know the commands are given for our own well-being for our own joy that jesus said i come to give life to the full a life in abundance you know and that's through his commands and and through those commands we can live a life that that can truly bring joy and happiness so you gotta look at the spirit of the commands as well and the same i would say argue the same with some of the laws in our country though they're not perfect but you think of jaywalking the spirit of jaywalking is that so you don't get hurt you know so it's like and it's for the love of your neighbor you know it's that's why you don't want to jaywalk because you could hurt yourself or others so yeah i digress a little bit so (laughs) we're going to go next question we have for paul who is the professional associate pastor (laughs) as opposed to the
0: the the amateur yeah uh, the Uh, incompetent right yeah that's great thank you verse six Six and eight eight eight. says this question is from
1: verses six and eight um i guess i can read it first because it gets pretty this this section is going to be pretty complicated so verse six this is the one who came by water and blood jesus christ he did not come by water only but by water and blood and it is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth for there is three that testify the spirit the water and the blood and the three are in agreement so based on verses six and eight what does the water and the blood mean i guess you could also add in the spirit there, the spirit so, yeah, full disclosure this is uh
0: Stephen and I checked in on this right before we went on the air, and um you know quickly found that both of us struggled with this and had to do a little research to Try and uh, discern exactly what was going on in this in this verse here. Uh, I almost uh, felt like I was reading Revelation, trying to match up you know these these terms uh, in Revelation, all the, all the different uh, metaphors or the, the imagery that's used, and and you have to figure out what uh, what each creature represents or what each object represents. I almost feel like I was doing that here in First John five, but um, probably not quite as in depth. Uh, the water and, and the blood I think here yeah you know, I, I think my initial expectation is probably accurate and uh, we, we both looked at it, some commentaries to see what other people thought so I think what I come away with here is that uh, that John's trying to say that um, if if we want to live into our, our faith and and be representatives of Jesus Christ in this world uh, we, we will participate um, in different things that will, uh, in and of themselves, our participation in these things, the fact that they exist within the community of Christ, will be a, a living testimony to the power and the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And, and um, Jesus really modeled these for us. So in one verse here, you see Jesus kind of comes and, and brings these. Uh, verse 6, uh, this is the one who came by water and blood. Um, but later on, it's the water and the blood and the spirit that are testifying uh, continually, even uh, beyond Jesus's earthly life to, his, uh, to his, his grace and his truth and his, um, his sonship of, of God. So water and, and blood, I, I think immediately I go to uh, baptism and uh, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, and uh, Jesus came by water. It's part of our, our baptism liturgy. We talk about how Jesus came through the water of a womb. Uh, so Jesus came by water, but he passes on to us this notion of baptism that um, at some point in our lives, uh, we will make a, a decision and a proclamation uh, for Christ that uh, that we are surrendering our, our lives back over to him. And in that moment, we become reborn uh, and uh, begin a new life uh, living as disciples of Jesus Christ and, and looking to him as our Lord and Savior. So uh, the water, I think, represents baptism, the blood, uh, Jesus' sacrifice upon the cross that we commemorate, remembered through the Lord's Supper. Um, so we, we make a decision for Christ uh, through baptism um, and the, the blood and, and through the Lord's Supper, we continue to receive um the, the one-time sacrifice of Christ, but we, we continue to remember and receive it uh, each and every time we celebrate the, the Lord's Supper because it is the, the foundation. It's really the driving force behind our relationship and our, our need to be in relationship with him and our desire to be in relationship with him is this willingness to sacrifice everything uh, to kind of breach this this gap between us and the Father. And, and uh, so we remember and we commemorate his uh, sacrifice on the cross every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So Jesus came by these two things, every time we participate in them in the church, and these, of course, we talked in a recent series about the sacraments, and these are two sacraments, the um, the Methodist Church in particular, Uplifts, and, and many other churches as well, um, and uh, the Spirit, I think, is added here. Uh, as we speak of the three coming together as a kind of joint testimony for Christ. And I think the Spirit is what kind of gives power to each of these other two uh, that have already been mentioned, but also uh, dwells within believers and everything that we do is witnesses to Christ, not just our baptisms and, and celebrating of the Lord's Supper, but uh, every time we witness to Christ, every. Uh, every moment when we're out and amongst people and, and we're representing Christ, we are empowered by the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit breathes life into us, sustains us, and and uh, inspires us in, in all that we do. The Word of God, in, in particular, we interact with the, the, the Spirit through uh, our reading and digesting of the word of god and sharing it with other people so uh, water blood and spirit all come together really kind of like the um the three musketeers of the christian <laughs> faith right i was trying to think it couldn't right. be the three stooges i was trying to think of a good threesome yeah. uh, earth wind and fires the earth wind and fire of the christian <laughs> faith <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah. that's almost too close and yet very far at the same right. time but, uh, yeah, I think that's that's that would be my breakdown. But there's a lot of uh, mystery packed into this. I don't know that scholars all, uh, necessarily agree with what I shared. There's some other theories on this as well.
1: Um, no, I, I would agree with what you're saying there, um, that the water, blood, and the spirit. Um, and and I got a, my apologies, there's a passage in John that Paul and I were talking about before we got on air that I really wanted to bring up because... The more I've studied First John, the more I've seen crossover between First John and John's gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, so almost it would have been fascinating to, if, you have, if someone has the time, to read through both together, even though <laughs> John's gospel is a lot longer. But I think you'll see just a lot of crossover uh, between the two. Um, and, and the testimony of Jesus is seen most clearly, as Paul said, in baptism, and the Spirit's testimony, and Jesus' death on the cross. Um. alright so we'll jump to our next question here which is wait is it your question to me uh, yeah I think yeah, I'm up yeah. so I don't want I mean to load you up with too many questions yeah you know my I, you I may out. be a
0: professional <laughs> associate pastor but my <laughs> right. brain will still go in a shutdown right. mode yeah that's true too many I questions <laughs> uh, so my next question is drawn from verses 14 and 15 and, and in these verses Um, John talks about the confidence uh, with which we should approach God um, and pray to God and and petition uh, God for the things that we are seeking um, and the confidence that we should have in in his response. So quickly it, it reads, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So we we, we already know that we have what we asked of him. So um, uh, Stephen, I was hoping you might do us a favor and put put that in your own words. Uh, what is John's model here for uh, going to God in, in prayer and in petition? And how do we get to this level of faith with that, that last phrase here that implies that we can reach a point where we can ask for something, and if we know it's God's will, we can also trust that we've already received it, even as we, we ask for it. That's quite a level of confidence. So right. break that down for us.
1: Yeah, I think that, yeah. And I, I think here in this last chapter of John, John's really been making the case. This is one thing we maybe we'll talk about later, but there are certain themes in John that come across um, throughout the, this whole letter one of those themes is, um, helping build confidence in the believer that they are, um, that they are in fact, that they do in fact know Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And he gives a couple litmus tests essentially to help, to help people understand if I know Christ and, um, and that's typically through, do you, you ask, do you love Christ? Do you love your neighbor? And do you follow his commands or kind of in big picture, um, how we know if we're followers of Christ. Um, First, we confess Christ. um, We confess our sins to Him, you know, and we believe that we are sinners. We believe that Christ has saved us. Um, We also, another evidence of that is that we love our neighbor so that we we love those around us. And not just a love of the world, but a love of Christ. I would say the love of the world is different than the love of Christ. And uh, I think John has also made that argument as well. Um, But the love of Christ is how we show that love to our neighbors it gives evidence and testimony that we've been changed by christ and that we know christ and also how we live our life um, and we talked about commands earlier those commands aren't burdensome because we love jesus now of course our love isn't perfected so we are going to experience burdensomes and trials um, trials that feel burdensome um, but yet we know within our heart that we truly love god and that we're willing to follow his commands, um, because we love him so much. And when we pass those litmus tests and we, and we, um, also have testimony of the spirit within us that gives us confidence, um, this confidence through the spirit and from this confidence, we're able to come to God in prayer and we can approach God. There's another verse in Hebrews that speaks about approaching God's throne with confidence, um, as well, which I don't know that passage here. I think it's Hebrews 12 or Hebrews 2 or 3. It might be chapter 4. So it's around there. It's a pretty well-known passage. Um, But speak about having confidence when we come before the throne of God, um, that we know that we know Christ and that through Christ um, that God sees Christ in us. And also John says that when Christ appears, we will be like him, right? So... When um, God sees us. He sees his son. And um, so we can have confidence before the throne of God and confidence in our prayers. Right. And and the reason we can have confidence in our prayers is because our prayers are going to start to reflect what Jesus would pray for. All right. So like when we come to know Jesus and we come to love our neighbors, we come to follow the commands of God and we're being transformed as John or John Paul would say. The apostle in hebrew or in romans chapter 12 he says our minds are being transformed um no longer thinking to the pattern of this world but being transformed by the truth of god's word and the truth of the spirit when we're when our minds are being transformed um our desires are also going to be transformed so what we desire what we think and what we want is going to reflect christ right and so then we can ask these things of god in confidence because you know we're asking things Um, in the name of Christ, and we know that we're asking things that we're drawn to by the Spirit of God within us, you know, so it's almost kind of a trinity (laughs) there. Um, We come before God um, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and being like Him, um, using the Spirit, and having the Spirit um, giving us this desire to pray for the things that we know Christ would pray for. Um, So then we can know that what we ask for is That we will receive you know um and we know and also too in james i think it's james chapter four um james says that the reason you do not receive when you pray is because you pray to receive um for selfishly with wrong motives Mm -hmm. um in james so he talks about that's why you don't receive so we can have confidence in prayer when we're in tune with christ and 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 this doesn't mean that we're perfect right Uh, john never says that we're going to hit perfection Um, he says that we need to confess our sins to God. So it doesn't mean that we won't receive anything because we're not perfect, but there is a life that we can live. That's of a life of, uh, repentance, a a life of grace and a life of, um, humility, um, to God. And that that makes us more and more like Christ so that we can have confidence in prayer. So, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, passage
0: I think from Hebrews is Hebrews 10 Okay. Um, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by right. the blood of Jesus new and living way open for us through the curtain Jesus has really right. become the curtain that opens wide through the mm-hmm. cross to allow us access to the most holy place of the, the tabernacle um, So, it, and it continues to talk about having hope uh, because God is, is faithful trusting um, that what we ask will be uh, received Right. So yeah, I think you you nailed it uh, spot on and the best I can do to to supplement what you said, I think is uh, an example came to mind of how in our faith we are so infantile in our understanding of the spiritual world and what yeah. is really good for us and not good for us. So if you have a you know a, a two-year-old say that um goes up to his his mom every day and asks for a box of cookies you know she's gonna say no but if a two-year-old walks up and asks for a bag of carrots she's gonna say yes well Mm -hmm. if we can get our 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 souls and our hearts healthy enough such that we understand the difference between a cookie and a carrot Mm -hmm. in the kingdom of god and we're asking god for what truly is healthy uh, then I think we can trust without a doubt uh, God, like any good and loving parent, is going to provide their, their children with what they need, especially if it's also what they want. Um, but we have to get the cookies and carrots straight in our head before we can have that kind of relationship with God, where we can truly expect God to respond in, in the way that we hope and have that level of confidence. And because we're also um, you know, I speak for myself, uh, first and foremost, so immature. So uh, so far to go in our faith, I don't always recognize um, what the right thing is and the healthy thing is in any given situation. So I'm begging my, my my dad for, you know, boxes and boxes of cookies all the time. No wonder he doesn't hand them over because he, he knows better uh, than <laughs> I do.
1: So all right. all right. This leads us into our next question that I have for Paul. Um, this is can come coming from verse 16. And I'm going to read that verse for us to give us some context. Verse 16, if you see any brother or sister committing a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whom, whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. So, my question for our, uh, our pastor on staff here is what does John mean there is a sin that doesn't lead to death
0: well, wow, well ironically, my question for our youth pastor on staff here was going to be what <laughs> 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 what uh what does John mean about uh, when he talks about a sin that does lead to death so um I will do my best to answer your question without treading on yeah. the answer to my question. Right. I'll let you cap it off but um, so looking at uh, verse verse 16 here, you know, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, so we're we're in community, we're observing uh brother or sister of ours who is uh, sinning, and we're praying for them it says he should pray and God will give him life. Uh, refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. so, uh, the context here is, is accountability and, and kind of the uh, healthy sp- spirit of community in which we encourage each other and and um, I think just hold each other accountable to a certain lifestyle and and yeah. uh, healthy uh, spiritual path that God calls us to, which I think is something that uh, the church so often neglects nowadays is, is a real true sense of community, um, in, in the spirit of not wanting to quote-unquote judge each other, we, we struggle to um, struggle to even encourage or hold each other accountable because uh, you know, calling out somebody's sin is so often interpreted as judging them, but um, it, it is possible to do so in love and, and within a, in a healthy way within the true sense of Christian community. But uh, the uh, the different notions of sin differentiated here kind of throws you off on first reading. You look at it and you're like, okay, what is, what is John talking about? I think um, my thoughts first go to this uh, comment, which is is uh, biblical. But I wish I had done some more homework to figure out the context that all sins are equal in the eyes of the Lord. Right? There's uh, this is concept within Scripture that all sins are equally. Um, destructive, or, or all sins, or, or God at least perceives our, our sins equal in magnitude, so to speak. And um, once again, I, I would love to look into the context for that, for, for further opportunities for conversation, but it, I think it can be misleading um, to to take that literally because I, I think truly there are certain sins that, you know, all sins separate us from God, but there are certain sins that are much more difficult to overcome, certain sins that are are perhaps more destructive to our relationship with God than others, and not necessarily uh, in in the sense that uh, the world perceives our our rights and wrongs and and says that one is more uh, severe than than another. Uh, I think God's measuring stick would be very, very different than that. But um, when it talks about a, a sin that does not lead to death, I, I really think it's not as much about the action the, the the sin in in the sense of the action that you're committing or, or the thought or the word that you're speaking um, as the attitude behind it. I think, If uh, an individual is in a relationship with Christ, um, they acknowledge that they are a sinner and that they understand the concept of repentance and submission to Christ. They've surrendered their life over to Christ. And they are um, struggling with a particular area uh, that they uh, either, either are not Recognizing that they're struggling in, uh, because nobody else has come alongside them and helped them point it out, which is once again is kind of the context of this um, thought here in John, but. Uh, either they haven't recognized it or they've, they've seen, boy, I'm, I'm really uh, struggling with this, uh, this sin of uh, lust or I'm struggling with this sin of pride or whatever the case might be. They're, they're struggling with it. They've identified it. They've repented of it, um, but they, they still find themselves tempted by it or drawn back to it. Uh, so they're struggling to overcome it. Yeah, you know, I think either of those two individuals are in a situation where they're co- committing a sin. They're still falling short, but either because they're they're ignorant of their, their sin, they're not aware that they're committing it. Um, they they just haven't seen the light to to kind of cast uh, uh, light on the darkness that they're living in, or. Um, they are really, really trying to, to overcome it. They've uh, repented. They've turned it over to the Lord, but they just are, are struggling and they keep pulling it back and keep falling into that same hole over and over. I think they are committing a sin that uh, does not necessarily lead to, to death uh, because their their attitude towards their faith and towards Christ is still healthy. Uh, They're just living within the the uh, ugliness of their human nature um, and so that those are the the scenarios where i would imagine a, a sin would not lead to death uh, of course there are you know other references throughout scripture another area would be good to do a study on where um, there you know certain sins or actions are described as unforgivable uh, unforgivable sins or you know or jesus makes a point to say boy that this is a, the lowest of the low um, and it'd be interesting to see what the patterns are behind those. You know, what what are the nature of those sins? Because um, certainly some that uh, I think speak to more more to somebody's heart and their attitude uh, can be. Uh, borderline un, unforgivable if you take that literally, or at least uh, um, if you persist in them, demonstrate that the person, you know, even though they claim to have a healthy faith, they they, they are not. So it's almost like their actions are are and their unwillingness to acknowledge their sin, own it, and, and repent of it, and work on it, is uh, demonstrating that all uh, although they say they are a person of faith, that their faith is not sincere. So I think that's. Why um, that that sin does lead to death? Because it's a sin that demonstrates um, that their faith is not sincere and and they are not uh, in a healthy relationship with Christ and and so their heart is is not achieved salvation. Um, so I, going around in circles. Let's let's let you tackle uh, unless you have a comment on that first. But what is this uh, sin that does lead to death? Is it uh, are you are you in line or are you gonna um, put me in my place here? <laughs>
1: Now, I mean, I I think this is a it's a really hard question to answer. And both Paul and I did a little bit of research even before we got on air to talk about it. um, It's because it's just an interesting passage that we typically don't see this language in other places of Scripture. Hmm. But um, when using my um, study Bible, points out a really good. um, I think it makes some really good points here. Um, I I think think a a sin, sin, so so a sin sin that that doesn't lead to death death, and a sin that that does lead to death, the study Bible basically explains, which makes sense in the context of John's letter, is a sin that's unrepentant is a sin that leads to death. So it's a sin sin that that um, does not seek the forgiveness of God, a sin that doesn't believe, really the greatest sin that we can, the greatest sin is not believing the testimony of God regarding Jesus Christ. So, um, in, that, in that regard, if we don't accept the testimony of God and believe that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God, then that is a sin that leads to death because it will lead to us separated, leading to us separated from God. Um, as opposed to a sin that does not lead to death is a sin that um, forgive it seeks forgiveness, a sin that's repented of, a sin that's the blood of Christ has been shed for, um, that being a, that's a sin that does not lead to death because I guess it kind of does. I mean, it leads to the death of Christ, but it doesn't lead to our death. Um, it leads to our forgiveness, our regeneration, and ultimately our healing and, and to be with Christ again. Um, so, But the sin that does lead to death is a sin that um, does not acknowledge Christ as Lord, a sin that is not repented of, a sin that, um, that we continue to, to live live in, live in through the rest of our lives, not, not just a sin, but being sinners, um, the condition of being a sinner, um, living that life will just will naturally it's just, will just lead us from God. I mean that's just the obvious fact that our sins lead us from God, and we' are led to God through Jesus Christ and His death for our sins, and that leads us to God and, and to life. so I, I think the
0: the key point here, the, the thing that's so misleading is we hear the word sin, or I'll speak for myself, I hear the word sin and I start rattling off in my head, okay, you know, seven deadly sins, these are examples of sins, or even in scripture, it, it goes down a list in multiple places and says, uh, don't be uh, sexually immoral, don't uh, covet your neighbor's wife, don't, um, you know, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, don't. You know, all of these things separate you from God. So when we hear, you know, somebody referring to a sin that leads to death, doesn't lead to death, we start trying to, like, rank these specific actions or, or thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, you know, the uh, First John has said over and over in, in this book, and, and you just brought it to life for me, Stephen, that... Um, sin isn't, you know, the the concept of sin isn't always referring to specific actions or thoughts. It's a, almost like a state of being. Um, so, I think if if we're suggesting that somebody is committing a sin that leads to death, we're not necessarily saying that the the action that they're committing or the word they're speaking or even the thought they're thinking is what's leading them to death. What we're saying is that. The, the the word the action the thought is representative of a, a sinful state of being a state of, of heart um, it's it's representative of a, a faith. That has gone astray and is is no longer vital, is no longer legitimate. So it's not the sin itself that's leading to them to death, but the sin is representative of a state of heart that is um, on a path towards death and not towards life. And like you you pointed out quite well, you know, in First John it goes over, over and over. You keep saying, um, if you you know if you obey God, uh, then you know God. If you uh, love God, then you know God. If you if you love your neighbor, then you know God. All of these things, uh, very straightforward. To really be in right relationship with God means to uh, live it out through your obedience and, and your love for God and, and for neighbor. Um, and to not do that is is to live in sin. So uh, I think
1: it helps put it in its proper context as well. All right, and I think <laughs> this this made me think of this passage in John. <laughs> so. Uh, uh, reading First John keeps calling to mind passages passages in John, um, but one particular passage, John chapter 3 right after John chapter 3 um, verse 16, but it's 17 um, particularly 18, it says those who believe in him, believe in Jesus are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they do not believe in the name of the only Son of God, so in other words, if you don't believe in the Son of God, you are stand condemned already because you're not believing in the testimony that God gives about his Son. And again, that goes back to all the previous verses that John wrote about in this chapter, in 1 John chapter 5. The Spirit, the water, and the blood, all get, and God himself give testimony to Jesus Christ as our Savior, as the Christ, as the Messiah. But if we don't believe the testimony of God, um, we have... Sin, essentially because we've called god a liar um and john in his gospel said we already stand condemned if we don't believe that jesus christ is the son of god um and that that's is the, the sin, sin essentially mm. um so but yeah i think um, that's very on the surface that the passage is difficult to understand but i think again that's why we're doing this podcast to dwell to um, delve deeply into um, these passages that, on the surface, are really confusing for, for myself <laughs> and for Paul. They're like, what, "What does John mean by this?" But I think mm-hmm. um, this is also why i really enjoyed this podcast because um, through this deep study, um, learned a little bit more about um, just the love of Christ and, and sin and God and testifying and all the stuff that we've that we've talked about. All right. So the question I have, last question I have, for Paul is um, verse. 19 and verse 19 says We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So what does it mean that the whole world is under the control of the evil one?
0: Hmm Well uh, two parts to that verse. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one so um I I think that wow how to how to unpack this I mean <laughs> it, it, you know I could answer this in in three words or less but right. <laughs> it's, it it feels like it deserves so much more uh you know the, we live in a fallen world uh from the from the fall of humanity back in the the garden of eden um sin has reigned it, it is an uncontrollable disease that uh, we're all born into um we cannot overcome it in in this world in this lifetime. Uh, we are we are essentially uh, slaves to sin. We we have no uh, control over it, and um, and the consequences of sin have have followed us uh, throughout history. Um, but the 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 primary consequence of of sin, the the consequence that led to us uh, being separated from. Uh, the father and uh, being, you know, condemned to uh, death in in this world and and uh, and prevented from experiencing eternity has been broken. That consequence has has been defeated by Christ upon the cross. But that doesn't mean that uh, the the evil one or Satan here has has been uh, conquered, uh, so to speak. Um, his his control over uh, those who are aware of all of their resources, their, their assets, and uh, the gift of, of Christ and have accepted that. His control over those people has uh, been extremely limited, um, and, and people are, are able now to I think, see more clearly the the acts of Satan in this world and uh, see the lifeline that exists for them. And ultimately, uh, that that lifeline is one that leads to victory. Um, But that doesn't mean that Satan still doesn't reign supreme and and have full access to the people of this world. Um, I, I guess it depends on how you define uh, control. So, I, I, the image that comes to mind for me is this: Imagine the entire world is uh, is um, uh, held captive within a, a prison, you know, prison walls, and uh, all of us, because uh, this world has fallen and it, it, it's uh, subservient to sin, we are all living in this this prison of of sin, and. Um, You know, it's it's all around us. It's you know, it's it's all over us. It's uh, we we can't get away from it. But uh, Christ has come and opened the door, opened a a door, and given us. You know, the the light is shining into this prison. The door is flung wide open. Um, But because you know we're we're so blinded by the darkness, um, we can't. You know, so many people in this world can't see that, can't find their way to that open door. Um, or, you know, don't trust the, the notion of walking through it. So, you know, Satan still has people captive, even though in a sense they are free and that they have the ability to, to walk right out of that prison. They're still held captive because they're living their lives enclosed within the walls of that prison, even though um, their hearts have been set free. Uh, in that they have the potential to live uh, a life of freedom, they're not choosing to do so. So because the choice is ultimately ours, and so many people are at least, are, are either ignorant of the ab- their ability to be free or are choosing not to, to live free, uh, Satan still reigns supreme in this world. Um, but, you know, of course, with the cross, all of that, um, yeah, everything changed, everything shifted, and that at least, uh, finally, um, you know, this this breaking point in history uh, occurred where people had finally the opportunity; uh, they, they were given uh, the gift of, of freedom. They just had to to open it, and simply walk through that open door that Jesus had flung wide open upon the cross, um, and and choose to live free. So we still live in a fallen world. Satan still has um, control, uh, mostly because. He does everything possible to keep people ignorant to the existence of this this opening that they can walk right through. Um, But because most people still live um, as if they are captive, um, the the world remains captive. So I I don't know if that analogy helps, but um, it's uh, no doubt (laughs) if you look around you, um, you know, and it's not just a theological thing. You look around you, you can see it every day, everywhere you go. Um, This is not god's kingdom here on earth being lived out to its uh fulfillment this is this is a fallen world that we still live in uh thank thanks be to god we have hope uh for more in this lifetime and in the life to come but uh in the meantime we're we're muddling through all the ugliness and the muck of sin
1: right and i agree with all of that i I think too satan is the enemy that's who has control now but it's also he knows his time is short um i think it says that revelation revelations Revelations, but he's almost you can almost think of it as like a animal in a corner um because he knows that christ has won the victory at the cross and Hmm. um, i think it's in colossians where it says jesus claimed victory and and made the enemy satan um uh, he claimed victory over the enemy of satan on the cross I think it's in Galatians chapter three, but um, and also too, I, I like how the Bible doesn't sugarcoat it. it. It it openly acknowledges that yeah, hey, the world is still being influenced by Satan. Satan still has a level of control here um, to an extent. We have to define what it means control, but um, and then Hebrews chapter two acknowledges that it says verse eight. At the present, we do not see everything subjected to Jesus, right? So we live in a world that not everything is subject and under Jesus' control. But we see him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. He's now crowned with glory and honor because because of the suffering of death, so that the grace of God might taste death for everyone. In other words, Christ won the victory in his death. Um, and though, as I said before, Satan has a level of um, influence and control now, but he's an enemy that's um, on the way out so um, and and Satan more than any many more than any of us know the timetable and knows that his time is short and hmm. um, I think the spiritual timetable and a human perspective timetable um, is going to look very different, so
0: yeah. It's interesting to contemplate an enemy that that already knows that they're defeated. I've often wondered that about Satan. You already know. He knows the end of the story just as much as any faithful Christian does. He knows that in the end (laughs) he's he's toast um, because he knows the the truth of uh, the universe and and God's plan and and God's activity and God's victory uh, already been obtained better than any of us. Yeah, you know, but because uh, you know, because he's so full of, of evil and, and thrives on destruction, even though he knows the the end of the story, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's still worthwhile, it's still in his nature to to, to see it out to the end, you know. <laughs> even though yeah. you're gonna lose, um that's right. i don't know is that like watching espn classic like <laughs> yeah right <laughs> knowing yeah. that your team is going to get pummeled at the end like why am you i You don't buying?
1: watch the game if you know your team's going to lose right right <laughs> what's the only point so we watch it if they're going to win <laughs> <laughs> that's, funny. Um, that's yeah.
0: uh first john first john know. five and yeah. that's first john right you know. yeah, yeah we're fresh out of chapters um yep. any concluding remarks
1: uh, no, not much. Not, uh, like I said before, it's been really great just reading this book and delving in and, and seeing how many connections it actually has to the Gospel of John and um, things I hadn't seen before. But, yeah, I, I think every time you go back to the Bible, um, even though you may have read the book a thousand times, read it a thousand and one times, you'll still learn something new. Mm. From it. um, it's a living word. And also we're changing. We, we as people change. Um, and it's, it's just a simple fact that we are changing all the time. How we read um, passages and our perspective will change and how we interpret those. But the truth of God remains, though, uh, the love of God for us, the Savior, Jesus Christ, and um, his eventual return, and those truths don't change. But
0: no, That's right. Unchangeable God yeah right. next time we, we'll have to do second john or third john <laughs> yeah, i yeah, just flipping i knew they were, they were short they but was my short. goodness was yeah. 12 verses or something 13 yeah. verses 14 it's like a page so. yeah so uh, imagine how deep we can go <laughs> you yeah. know five week series <laughs> on 13 verses All Right. yeah boy that would yeah. be fun i think our audience would <laughs> <laughs> <right>. <laughs> trickle away though. yeah exactly well, speaking of our audience, thank you all for uh, for tuning in. Thanks for continuing the journey with us. Uh, we're, we're still having a blast doing this, and we are anxious to uh, come back to you with a, a new topic, a new um, a new set of material, starting with our next episode, and trudge uh, on t- into the the season of fall and and see uh, where it leads us. So. Um, hopefully you're connected to other things going on in the church as well and, and you're not counting on this <laughs> to be the be all end all of your faith experience as much as we have fun and, and hopefully uh, it's meaningful for you hopefully you're engaging in worship you're uh, studying the word with some other folks as well and, and uh, keeping an active uh, personal relationship with Christ And um, anytime you want to reach out we can help um, help you with that or help you get connected to the church I'd love to to play a part in that. But I uh, hope to see you at worship um, or uh, that you're staying connected to the live stream and so and, uh, we can connect with you in other ways as well. Uh, but until next time, I think we can uh, sign off and, and wish you a, a wonderful week.